This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Hello and welcome to Reality Check. Today is Wednesday the 17th of April 2019 and I'm your host, Tony Pittman. This is episode 79 of Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. Reality Check is a show designed to give you a healthy dose of reality. And we do that by promoting the art of critical thinking and skeptical analysis. Each show we bring you a roundup of LGBT news, followed by an in-depth analysis of an issue related to the paranormal or the pseudoscientific, And finally, we wrap up each show with a movie review. On today's show, after our LGBT news roundup, we're going to look back at our predictions for 2018 and see how many of them came true. Then in our movie review, we're not going to do a movie, but a documentary series on Netflix called Wild Wild Country. So for all that and more... Stay tuned to Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. All right, let's get into our LGBT News Roundup for the period since our last episode of Reality Check back on the 8th of October, which is just slightly over six months ago. That's quite a long time, so there should be a lot of news to cover. And, well, there's a fair bit, not so much good news. But anyway, let's get started. And let's begin with marriage equality news and head to Europe specifically to Austria, where we have some news which is not at all surprising, but is certainly good news, because at midnight on January 1st this year, marriage equality came into effect throughout Austria. The reason it's not surprising is because this was decreed by the Constitutional Court back in December 2017. So we just had to wait for it to come into effect, which it has now done, meaning that Austria now joins the ranks of Western European countries with marriage equality. And in fact, it also means that there's now only a handful of places in Western Europe that don't yet have same-sex marriage. Basically, just 
Italy, Greece, Switzerland, and Northern Ireland. That's it. Well, plus a few microstates like Andorra and Liechtenstein and San Marino. Although San Marino did just get civil unions for same-sex couples back in December. So that's something, I suppose. Anyway, the important news is that Austria now has marriage equality and hopefully it won't be too long before those last few other Western European countries join the list as well. All right, let's move across the Atlantic Ocean now to the New World, specifically to Mexico, where, as we've been monitoring closely here on Reality Check, marriage equality has been spreading gradually across the country, state by state. And the latest state to achieve it was Nuevo León, which got it through a ruling of the Mexican Supreme Court on the 19th of February. The court declared that the state's ban on same-sex marriage is unconstitutional and its ruling came into effect immediately. So, good news there from Mexico. And if you're wondering where Nuevo León is, well, it's in the north of Mexico, on the border with Texas. It's where you find the city of Monterrey, so a pretty important state. So now, with Nuevo León, that means the total number of Mexican states with marriage equality now stands at 14, plus Mexico City as well. Mexico in total has 31 states, so we're almost halfway there. Actually, the situation in Mexico is slightly confusing because in some states, there are some municipalities that perform same-sex weddings, even though they're not performed throughout the entire state. And also, of course, as we've mentioned many times before, in Mexico, everybody has the right to same-sex marriage. The only thing is that in those states that don't allow it, you have to go through a series of legal challenges to get it recognized, which is incredibly frustrating and pointless. But what is true is that eventually every state in Mexico will have marriage equality because that's what's been decreed by the Supreme Court. The frustrating part is that in each state, people have to go through these pointless legal challenges to get an order from the Supreme Court requiring the state to comply, which is exactly what just happened in Nuevo León. Anyway, let's hope that now, with the new president, López Obrador, there'll be a bit of momentum to speed this whole process up. Hopefully, fingers crossed. All right, let's stay in the Americas now for two more pieces of news on marriage, both from British overseas territories. First, Bermuda, which we've discussed several times here over the last few episodes of Reality Check, because marriage equality has come and gone there. But the good news is that Bermuda now has marriage equality once again, and hopefully this time for good. So just briefly to recap the story, back in May 2017, the Bermudian Supreme Court ruled that same-sex marriages must be allowed. 
However, a few months later, the Bermudian Parliament passed a law to overturn that decision. And that law took effect in June last year. However, that law was challenged in the Court of Appeal, which ruled last November that marriage equality should be legal again. So since then, same-sex weddings have been taking place in Bermuda. Which is almost the end of the story, except that that latest decision from the Court of Appeal has been appealed to the Privy Council in London which is the court of final appeal for Bermuda. So it's not all quite resolved yet, but it's pretty likely that the Privy Council is going to uphold marriage equality. Let's hope it does, so the issue will finally be settled once and for all in Bermuda. Now, Bermuda is out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, But we have some news from another British overseas territory nearby in the Caribbean from the Cayman Islands. So in the last few weeks, the Cayman Islands got marriage equality for a few days, but then lost it. What happened is on March 29th, the Cayman Islands Grand Court issued a ruling ordering the territory to open marriage to same-sex couples with immediate effect. However, just like in Bermuda, the government is quite hostile to marriage equality and appealed that decision to the Court of Appeal. And just last week, actually, April 10th, the court stayed the lower court's decision, meaning that everything's now on hold until the appeal in August. It's quite possible, though, that even then, it won't be finally resolved because this case will probably also go all the way up to the Privy Council in London. And that will probably take a few years. But let's just hope that once the issue is resolved, it's decided in favour of marriage equality. Again, we'll just have to wait and see. Now, for our final bit of marriage news, and unfortunately not good news, let's head to Taiwan. So, we've discussed Taiwan several times here on Reality Check over the last few years. And in fact, I myself just came back from Taiwan a few weeks ago. I had a fabulous time, drank bubble tea every day. Mmm, so delicious. Anyway, how is Taiwan going as far as marriage equality is concerned? Well, on our last episode back in October, it was looking likely then that there was going to be a referendum on the issue organized by right-wing religious opponents of marriage equality. And in fact, that referendum went ahead on November 24th and unfortunately returned a strong vote against equality of 72%, which was, of course, incredibly disappointing. However, it doesn't mean that all is lost in Taiwan, because the Constitutional Court ruled there two years ago that marriage equality must come into effect by May 2019, which is next month. And that ruling of the Constitutional Court can't be overturned by the referendum result. 
So, you ask, what does that actually mean? What's going to happen in May? Well, it's not clear at this stage, but the government has drafted what it's calling a same-sex marriage bill that it's going to put to the legislature in the next few weeks. However, instead of just amending the current marriage provisions in the civil code, this bill sets up a separate institution just for same-sex couples. In other words, it seems very much like civil unions, not civil marriage. So, the question is, will that be enough to meet the requirements of what the Constitutional Court decreed back in 2017? It ruled in favour of marriage. Will civil unions be enough? Or will the court say, no, it has to be full civil marriage? Well, no one knows, and it's quite possible that the legislature passes civil unions in the next few weeks, and then the whole thing goes back to the court once again. Whatever happens, hopefully it'll be resolved relatively quickly. And hopefully Taiwan is still on track to become the first country in Asia to achieve marriage equality. I'm not terribly hopeful, but once again, we'll just have to wait and see with fingers crossed. All right, for our final news item today, we're going to head to Africa for some good news on the decriminalization of homosexuality. And specifically, we're heading to Angola. Until now, Angola has had a penal code that prohibits, quote, acts against nature, end quote. It's a hangover from the time when Angola was a Portuguese colony. And that wording, acts against nature, was always understood to be a prohibition against same-sex activity. However, on January 23rd this year, the Angolan parliament gave the final vote of approval to a brand new penal code that abolishes that section and does not outlaw same-sex sexual activity. So, this new penal code has been passed now and is currently just awaiting presidential approval. But once it comes into effect, it will essentially decriminalize homosexuality in Angola, which is wonderful news. And interestingly, during discussions about the new penal code, there was a lot of debate about the sections related to abortion, but virtually no discussion about decriminalizing homosexuality. It seems to not have been such a big deal over there, which is good news, and it seems that in Angola at least, same-sex attraction is not such a big taboo as it is in other parts of Africa. Also, interestingly about Angola is that it's actually had a law prohibiting employment discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation since 2015. The new penal code about to come into effect will also outlaw discrimination based on sexual orientation in the provision of goods and services. And it also outlaws hate speech, and hate crimes motivated by sexual orientation. Last year, also, the government recognized the country's only LGBT rights lobby group, Iris Angola. So, some very encouraging developments there from Angola. 
as to why this is happening? Well, the country just got a new president in 2017 after the previous one had been in power for 38 years. And it seems that the new guy wants to distinguish himself from his predecessor in a positive way. I certainly hope he continues in this vein. It's not often that we get good news from Africa on the LGBT rights front, but it's always very, very welcome when we do. All right, that brings us to the end of our LGBT news roundup for the last six months. Let's take a break now, and when we come back, we'll check. How our predictions for 2018 fared. I believe I may have made some kind of prediction about things not going so well for Peter Dutton. Did it come true? Hmm, maybe. To find out, stay tuned to Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. All day, every day, Joy 94.9. Hi, this is Adam Bant, Federal Member of Parliament for Melbourne, and you're listening to Joy 94.9. Welcome back to Reality Check. I'm Tony Pittman, and the station is Joy 94.9. And the song you just heard there was "Ahora Te Puedes Marchar" by K-pop boy band Super Junior. Which, if you haven't seen the video, check it out on YouTube. It's a shot-for-shot remake of the 1987 hit by Mexican singer Luis Miguel, which itself was a Spanish-language version of the 1963 Dusty Springfield hit "I Only Want to Be with You," and now in 2019, it's a hit for a Korean boy band singing in Spanish. I mean, who could have predicted this? It just goes to show, dear listener, with over seven billion people in the world, each doing their own thing, it's very, very hard for psychics to predict what's going to happen. But that's never stopped us here at Reality Check because we move now into the part of the show where we undertake a skeptical analysis of a subject related to pseudoscience or the paranormal. And today, because it's our first show of 2019, we're going to take a look back at our psychic predictions for 2018 and see how we went. So let's get straight into it, and let's start with marriage equality predictions. So back on our first show of 2018, the three countries that we predicted would achieve marriage equality in that year were. Panama, Costa Rica, and Chile. So, how did we go? Well, let's have a look at what happened in those three countries. Well, one thing to note is that all three of them are legally bound by the decision of the Inter-American Court of Human Rights back in January 2018, mandating the introduction of marriage equality. In all member states, 
So they should have done that by now, right? Well, let's see if they have. So, in Panama, the vice president announced shortly after that inter-American court decision in January last year that Panama would fully comply with the ruling and introduce marriage equality post-haste. Unfortunately, though, that hasn't happened yet. It seems there's a same-sex marriage legal case currently before the Panamanian Supreme Court that's been progressing through the courts since 2016. So it looks like the government is now waiting for the court's final decision on that case. The Supreme Court has said it's going to take into account the Inter-American Court's ruling, so presumably when it does decide, it'll make a decision in favour of marriage equality. But unfortunately, it hasn't come to a decision yet. Which means, unfortunately, our prediction for Panama for 2018 didn't quite come true. But all is not lost. What about Costa Rica? I mean, the Inter-American Court's decision applied specifically to Costa Rica. So surely it must have complied by now and introduced marriage equality. Well, like Panama, not quite. The good news, though, is that marriage equality in Costa Rica is now a foregone conclusion. Because in August last year, the Costa Rican Supreme Court ruled that preventing same-sex marriage is unconstitutional. However, it gave the legislature 18 months to amend the law and said that if it doesn't do so by the 18-month deadline, then marriage equality will come into force automatically in May 2020. And I'm sorry to report, dear listener, that the legislature hasn't done anything, so it looks like we'll just have to wait until the deadline expires in May 2020. Meaning that our prediction for Costa Rica for 2018, well didn't quite come true either. So close, though. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of it, but just then delayed its stupid decision. Anyway, that still leaves Chile. Surely they've managed to achieve marriage equality by now. Because back in 2017, when Michelle Bachelet was president of Chile, a same-sex marriage bill was introduced to the National Congress. I mean, surely it's passed by now. Well, unfortunately, in March 2018, a new conservative government came to power in Chile and work on the marriage equality bill slowed down considerably. However, the Inter-American Court's ruling applies to Chile and the government has said that it will comply. In fact, in May 2018, President Piñera, the new president, signed an agreement with the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights promising to continue the process of legalizing marriage equality. And there have been further debates in the Congress on the same-sex marriage bill this year. However, unfortunately, it hasn't been passed yet meaning that our prediction of Chile for 2018, well, also didn't quite come true. 
So, actually, out of our three marriage predictions for 2018, zero came true. Hmm, not exactly the result I was hoping for. But you've got to understand, 2018 was a tough year for marriage equality. Because, in fact, the only places in the world where it actually came into effect, well, apart from Australia at the very start of the year, January, the only other places were a couple of British overseas territories, the islands of Jersey and Alderney, another British Channel Island, but that's it. And of course, it came back into effect in Bermuda, as we've already discussed, but that's it. 2018 was a very quiet year on the marriage equality front internationally. Anyway, all is not lost, because even if we weren't terribly successful with our marriage equality predictions, we also made three celebrity death predictions last year. So, we might hit the jackpot there. I predicted that in 2018, Peter Dutton, Kim Jong-un, and Ivanka Trump would all die in terrible, tragic accidents. So let's just check what exactly happened to each of them in 2018. Surely at least one of them must have died. All right, let's start with Peter Dutton. Well, okay, technically he didn't actually die, but, I mean, you can't say he had a great 2018. I mean, in August, he challenged Malcolm Turnbull for the prime ministership twice in one week and lost both times. Not exactly a lucky year. And, of course, he ushered in ScoMo as our great new Prime Minister. So, yeah, not exactly a stellar year for Peter Dutton. And uh, I suspect 2019's not going to be so great for him either. But that's a whole other issue. The important point here is that well, he is actually still alive, so didn't actually die in 2018. What about Kim Jong-un? Well, let's see. In June 2018, he had that summit in Singapore with Donald Trump. And, well, frankly, any year in which you actually meet Donald Trump face-to-face -face can't be a good year. So clearly, 2018 was a terrible year for Kim Jong-un. But, well, he is technically, apparently, still alive. So my death prediction didn't quite come true for Kim Jong-un either. But there's still Ivanka Trump. What happened to her? Well, in 2018, she finally shut down her failing fashion business, supposedly in order to be able to devote more time to helping Daddy in the White House. And, well, of course, if Kim Jong-un had it bad, poor Ivanka has to meet face-to-face -face with Donald Trump almost every single day. So that can't be pleasant. That can't be pleasant at all. In fact, it must be very similar to dying. A kind of little death every day. Ugh. But, technically, legally, she is, well, still alive. So, I guess that means that uh, none of our three celebrity death predictions came true.
Hmm, let's just do the final tally. So that means that of all our predictions for 2018, three marriage equality and three celebrity death, we have a sum total of zero out of six. Hmm, I told you this psychic prediction game is not easy. I guess my spirit guides were just distracted last year. Or maybe I just misinterpreted their messages. Or maybe there were some skeptics nearby who interfered with their signals. Yes, that's probably it. <sighs> Pesky skeptics, why do they have to spoil everything? Hmm. Anyway, dear listener, in case you're wondering if there are going to be predictions for 2019, well, no, because we only have one more show of Reality Check to come, ever. So we won't be able to go back and check them in the future. But what I'm planning to do for the next and final show of Reality Check is to make a series of predictions, not just for 2019, but for the whole indefinite future. So I'll save any further predictions for our final show. All right, that brings us to the end of our 2018 predictions analysis. And like I mentioned, we only have one episode left of Reality Check. We're just going to tie up a few loose ends in that episode and make a few predictions. So if you'd like your last chance to send in a comment, please do so. The address is realitychecktony at gmail.com. You can also visit our webpage for past episodes of Reality Check. That's at realitycheconline.blogspot.com. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into this week's movie review. Joy 94.9 in Melbourne. Joy.org.au for the world. This is Senator Penny Wong. You're listening to Australia's Joy 94.9. Welcome back to Reality Check with me, Tony Pittman, on Joy 94.9. Also streaming live at joy.org.au and also available as a podcast to listen to anywhere in the world on your little pod. The song you just heard there was Dreams by Dutch musician Time Cop 1983. Featuring Dana Jean Phoenix. Okay, it's movie review time here on Reality Check, but today we're going to review a TV series instead of a movie. And I wanted to talk about this series because it's of particular interest to skeptics. And that series is Wild Wild Country. Wild Wild Country is a six-part documentary series about the Rajneeshi cult and their attempt to establish a community in a remote area of Oregon in the U.S. in the 1980s. 
through interviews with most of the key players and a vast amount of archival footage, it tells the story of the cult's relocation from India to Oregon, its attempt to build a utopia there, its continuous battles with the local townsfolk, and finally its chaotic collapse and relocation back to India. Now, the show is particularly interesting to skeptics because, well, it's about a cult and the pernicious effects that cults can have, not only on those who join, but also pretty much anyone they come into contact with. And what's fascinating in this series is watching that slow descent from utopian visions of a perfect society to, well, nefarious criminal conspiracies. We see how members who joined the Rajneeshis in good faith, attracted by its message of peace and love and harmonious living and lots of meditation, and how they start compromising those ideals bit by bit, and then start arming themselves with vast amounts of weaponry, and then scheming against their perceived enemies with more and more outlandish plans until they end up in federal prison for numerous crimes, including attempted murder and bioterrorism. It's just like the saying goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And you watch that slow downward spiral over six episodes as things just go from bad to worse for the Rajneeshis until they spin completely out of control. Now, dear listener, in case you're unfamiliar with the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, well, he was an Indian guru who founded the Rajneesh movement. That became particularly well known for its free love philosophy. The idea of being able to have free sex with multiple partners was actually what attracted a lot of people, particularly Westerners, to join the cult. The Bhagwan himself is perhaps most famous for his opulent lifestyle, his expensive clothes, his diamond-studded Rolex watches, and particularly his 93 Rolls Royces. Yes, that's right, dear listener, he had 93. His followers purportedly wanted to buy him one for every day of the year. Apparently, they thought that would be a good use of resources. Who knows what they were thinking? Now, you may actually know the Bhagwan under the name he adopted shortly before his death in 1990, which is Osho. His movement today is in fact called the Osho International Foundation. And all his books and CDs and DVDs and everything are now published under the name of Osho. You might have seen some of them at your local bookshop. They're still very popular all around the world. So even though he's been dead now for almost 30 years, his influence is still quite pervasive. If you've been to Pune in India, you've probably seen the Osho Ashram, which is where he moved to after being deported from the US. 
So Wild Wild Country, the documentary, is based on interviews with basically three groups of people associated with the Rajneesh cult. First, we have the cult members themselves, basically the Bhagwan's inner circle who helped him run Rajneesh Puram, which was the name they gave their utopian commune in Oregon. Then the second group is the local townspeople who were basically responding to what they saw as an invasion by the Rajneeshis. And finally, the third group is the law enforcement officers from the FBI and the state of Oregon who were responsible for investigating the cult and then bringing its leaders to justice. One of the most interesting and key people interviewed in the documentary is the notorious Ma Anand Sheila, who was the Bhagwan's personal secretary from 1981 to 1985, during the establishment of the Oregon Commune. She was basically his right-hand woman and orchestrated the cult's increasingly preposterous schemes, including those to murder government officials and poison the local townsfolk. One of the most insightful comments in the documentary is made by one of the Oregon government officials who says that what he observed about Sheila after interviewing her is that she had no empathy. And you get that clear impression from her interviews. She looks on the surface like a sweet old lady in her late 60s. But you can see from the way she describes those events of the past that she totally believed that what she was doing was right and she shows no remorse. She may well be a psychopath. Who knows? She's certainly a memorable and quite a sinister figure in the whole story. Now, just because it is so preposterous what they did, I'm going to quickly recap some of the crimes that the Rajneeshis committed, all in the name of peace, love, and harmony. Just to give you an idea of how unquestioning belief in the righteousness of a cause can make people commit acts that are clearly well, abhorrent and unethical, to say the least. One thing they did early on was to bus in thousands of homeless people from around the country and settle them in the commune in a failed scheme to boost their number of registered voters. Then, when all those homeless people started to get out of hand, they drugged them by secretly putting sedatives in their drink which is eh, not exactly ethical, but as you learn from the documentary, using drugs, poisons, and toxins became pretty much the preferred modus operandi for the Rajneeshis. In one of their most notorious crimes, they cultured a batch of salmonella and then surreptitiously sprayed it over the salad bars in several restaurants in a nearby city. 751 people got food poisoning from that incident. 45 of them had to be hospitalized. Fortunately, no one died. However, this was the first and largest ever 
bioterrorist attack in the history of the United States, all in the name of spreading the Bhagwan's message of peace and love to all sentient beings on Earth. Hmm, I'm sure they meant well by poisoning hundreds of people. Now, Sheila also tried to murder the Bhagwan's doctor by getting one of her assistants to stab him with a syringe of poison. Luckily, that was unsuccessful. And she also conspired to murder the U.S. federal attorney for the state of Oregon. That they planned to do by firearm, not by poison. Fortunately, that scheme also failed. Their numerous other crimes also include setting a local government office on fire, plus a vast amount of illegal bugging and wiretapping, as well as multiple cases of immigration fraud. So it's a really fascinating story. I was quite gripped watching the series. Here you have this guru with a fetish for opulence, luxurious living, Rolls Royces, whose followers are committing all kinds of serious crimes in his name. Somehow it starts to seem more like a crime ring than a commune, or more like the mafia than utopia. And one other fact about the cult that's not really covered in the documentary, but I learnt from other sources, is that uh, very much like the Scientologists, most of the Bhagwan's followers were forced to cut all ties with their family and friends and to donate most of their money and possessions to the Bhagwan who then presumably used those funds to buy more Rolls Royces, I guess. How very helpful. But, as I said, that's not really mentioned in the documentary. And actually, this brings me to my only real criticism of the show, and that is that we don't ever really hear critical voices of people who were inside the cult and then left. Pretty much all the former cult members they interview still seem to be completely under the spell of the Bhagwan. They still speak of him with awe and reverence. There's no one from within the cult who's now looking back with a more objective view and analyzing how the cult worked how it got people in, and why it was so attractive. For example, we never really learn what day-to-day -day life in the cult was like for all those thousands of ordinary members. What was the attraction? Why did they stay? And what did they do during their time there? And what did they actually believe? What was the Bhagwan telling them that was so amazing? And what I really wanted to know was how could so many thousands of people watch the Bhagwan driving by in his Rolls Royces, waving his Rolexes, and be totally besotted by him, and truly believe that he was one of the wisest and greatest people who had ever lived? These, unfortunately, are questions that were never answered in the documentary, and I think it's a large hole in an otherwise really good documentary. And it left me feeling slightly unsatisfied at the end. 
I felt that by the end I understood what had happened, but I never really understood why. Anyway, despite this flaw, I think the series is well worth watching. I found it quite riveting. If you remember some of those events from the 80s, it's fascinating to see all the details and background of what actually went on. And if you're too young to remember and maybe have never heard of the Rajneeshis, well, it's a fascinating insight into how cults can form with such good utopian intentions and then go so horribly, disastrously awry. So the documentary is Wild Wild Country. It's available on Netflix and it comes highly recommended by Reality Check. Now, just one quick reminder before the show ends, this is our penultimate episode of Reality Check. Our next episode, episode 80, will be the last one. So if there are any final questions or issues you'd like us to deal with, now's your last chance. Send an email to realitycheckTony at gmail.com and hopefully I'll be able to fit it into the last episode. Alright, that brings us to the end of the 79th episode of Reality Check. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to send any questions, comments or feedback to realitycheckTony at gmail.com. Visit our website at realitycheckonline.blogspot.com.au Have a great week and I'll be back with the final episode of Reality Check sometime in the coming weeks or months. It'll be soon, don't worry. See you then. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.